You are listening to the podcast of Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com. Well, good morning, everyone. It is great to have you here on this wonderful winter, almost, feels like winter, morning. Um, uh, as Scott mentioned earlier, uh, I'm the lead pastor here, and uh, I love snow. And if you don't like snow, I'm sorry. Um, my friends up in Buffalo have just been praying harder, but we're going to pray. I mean, they almost got, I was listening to, listening to the news last night. It sounds like they're going to get somewhere in the ballpark close to seven feet by the end of today. And that's like, wow, that's, that's, uh, that's a lot of snow. Um, so I don't know if we're ever going to see that, but maybe, maybe this year we can pray in, you know, a foot or two. We'll see. Um, if you hate snow, I'm sorry. Um, I apologize if you do. I'm not trying to offend you, but you know, there's a whole segment of the country that does get snow. This isn't that segment. <laughs> so there you go. We get snow. It's just the way it is. Um, uh, so thank you so much for joining us today, though. Uh, today, we're, uh, we're continuing a series that we started a couple weeks ago called Rebuilding Relationships. And if you've missed the first two weeks, man, God has been doing some awesome things. You can check out our YouTube channel. Go to uh, youtube.calvaryorwin.com or on Facebook and check out the messages and, uh, or listen to our podcast. And uh, you can hear kind of how those conversations and, and uh, w- what we've been talking about. And uh, today we're going to be talking about relational communication. Before we get into that, though, uh, next week we're closing it out, talking about relational health. And then in uh, first week of December, can you believe Christmas is almost here? We're kicking off a new series in December called The Day After Christmas. And uh, throughout the month of December, we're talking about the day after Christmas. You know, a lot of times we go into this season and everything builds up to Christmas. I love Christmas. It's my favorite time of the year. It's such a wonderful time of the year. But Christmas finishes and we're left without the decorations but all of the chaos. So what we're going to be talking about is what, what does the day after Christmas look like? It's awesome to celebrate and remember Christmas. But there was a moment that Jesus was born in a stable. And... It was this magical moment, and it's been, you know, depicted in pictures and movies and all of different places, but then there was a less magical moment that happened the next day when that little baby was crying all night long, and Mary and Joseph hadn't slept, and they still had to take care of that baby, and that was life, and uh, we forget the fact that Mary and Joseph raised that baby with all that that entailed. Uh, Jesus wasn't this magical baby that never cried, changed himself, fed himself, and uh, just took care of him. Like, he was born as an adult. Um, that, that, that's not how that worked. And so what we're going to be talking about through the month of December is, what does life look like in context of Christmas, but recognizing that life goes on past Christmas, the day after Christmas? So that's going to be the month of December. I invite a friend. It's going to be an awesome time. And then last thing, uh, our Christmas Eve services are taking place on Christmas Eve. Christmas at Calvary is taking place on Saturday, December 24th. We'll have two services at 4 and 6. And uh, this is a great opportunity to invite someone and uh, really bring your family as we celebrate a wonderful evening. We're going to have uh, amazing Christmas music and message and a free hot chocolate bar in the foyer. So that's going to be awesome, uh, wonderful, wonderful night. So uh, those are those things. So tonight, today, we're, we're talking about relational communication. Now, um, I've been the lead pastor here at Calvary for just over 11 years. Uh, 
yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's the, uh, the double one anniversary. But um, over those 11 years, um, I had the privilege of officiating somewhere around 70 to 75 weddings. And uh, one of the things I ask all the couples that I do weddings for is I uh, don't just do ceremonies. That's not my thing. Um, you know, I'll, I'll make a nice ceremony. I have no, you know, British accent or anything that will make it really cool, but it'll be a special ceremony. But the most important thing for me is really what leads up to the wedding day, what leads up to that ceremony. And I ask couples to meet with me usually four, five, six times before uh, I do their wedding, and we talk through different tools that we can equip them with to have a long-lasting marriage. It's not just about the wedding day, but it's about the long-lasting marriage. That someday, they could be that 90-year-old couple walking down the street, still holding hands, deeper in love that moment than they were the day they got married. Like, that's the, that's the hope. That's the goal. And so we talk through some different tools and different things that, that could help them move in that direction that they might not normally talk about, not normally uh, discuss. And I'm not trying to give a commercial for weddings. Uh, you can... Talk to Pastor Michael. He'll do your wedding for you. He loves doing them. Um, but one of the things I always uh, talk about with couples when I meet with them, first thing, no matter how good or bad they are at this, is communication. So uh, they, we, we do assessments and all of that for the couple. And, and, and sometimes the couple comes back and they're awesome at communication. Like they talk through issues and conflict really well. And like we're still going to talk about this. And then there's some times where they're like, it's a train wreck. Like they're just not good at communication. Like... They use smoke signals to uh, share, you know, information. You're like, you're going to get married. You kind of, kind of progress beyond the smoke signals. Um, uh, it's passing notes. Worked in middle school. It's not going to work, you know, as a, uh, as a, as a married couple. So we, we talk through communication. And I always talk, start with that, whether they're good or bad at it. Because uh, in the end, no matter how good or how bad things get in that marriage, if they can communicate, eventually it's going to work itself out. Like if it's a horrible situation situation, if it's, you know, really dire and things are difficult, but, but a couple can communicate well, like, they'll work it out. But if it's awesome, like, everything is great, like, it's the Barbie life, and everything's perfect, but they can't communicate, it's going to eventually all fall apart. Because communication is such a foundational part of any relationship, not just married couples, but any friendship. It's really, really important, because, well, how we relate really uh, is driven by how we can communicate. And uh, whether it's uh, in, in, you know, uh, your marriage, if you're married, or maybe you're not married, and, and your interaction with friends and, and coworkers and family members and, and whoever it might be, the reality is relationships in our lives uh, are difficult. We can be honest about that. They're not, they're not easy. They don't just magically happen. Uh, and, and here's the idea, that peace in our lives doesn't just happen Peace has to be pursued. Like, peace doesn't just magically happen. You don't just wake up one day and in a relationship that maybe things have been difficult, like it just magically happens. It has to be pursued. It has to be something you intentionally run after, something you intentionally uh, pursue. This is because every human being is stained with a sin nature. In other words, we all have the tendency to be, to be really selfish and defensive in life. I don't care how extroverted you are, how much you love people, we all have this sin nature. We have this tendency to be so incredibly selfish and defensive. And this tendency naturally creates division, creates conflict and bitterness and offense and, and oftentimes lingering frustration in any relationship, whatever context it's in. In, in Matthew chapter 5, 
Uh, Jesus is in the middle of his Sermon on the Mount, like his most famous message he provides. And he mentions this in, in verse 9 of Matthew 5. He says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And here's what's awesome about what Jesus says here. That when we work against the grain of our own self-interest to make peace with an offender or with an enemy, we do something that is so Christ-like in its nature that it immediately identifies us as being part of the family of God. Isn't that interesting? Maybe there are certain traits for you that people can tell that, like who one of your parents are just in how you make jokes or how your mannerisms are, or, or just your personality, and you're like, oh, you're just like your mom, or you're just like your dad, or you're just like your grandpa, or grandma, or your aunt, your uncle. Like, there's, there's these family traits that kind of continue through. My mom's side of the family, uh, that, that trait is humor. The corniest, worst humor. Uh, they love, my, my, my grandfather, all of his siblings, loved picking on people. It's just not in a mean, like, bully way, but just in a funny way. And my, my great uncle, Eddie, uh, when I was little, used to call me a little girl. And I'm like, I'm not a little girl. Quit calling me that. And, and my mom's like, don't worry, Nick. He used to call me a little boy when I was a girl. It's just, he loves you. That's just his way. There are these family traits that, like, threads that, that are woven throughout your family. In the family of God, the same is true. This is what Jesus is saying. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. That in the act of bringing peace, of pursuing peace in relationships, it's this family trait that people immediately identify you as being part of the family of God. You see, people will declare about you when you make peace that you resemble God and are acting like one of his sons or his daughters. Peacemaking is a skill set that should be high on our priority list to develop and learn because relationships are something that affect every single one of us. I don't care how old or young you are. I don't care what your demographic is, what you do for a living, where you live, or or what you enjoy doing as a hobby. Uh, Relationships affect every single one of us. This is the potential of improving not only the quality of your own life, but of the lives of those in your family, uh, of those in your business community, even of your own church experience. Like the, the impact of, of getting this right is significant. Now, I, I don't know what relationships look like in your life right now, but, but I do know that if you're anything like the rest of the world, you probably have had some strained relationships, have faced some difficult moments, and, and can see the need and also the difficulty in achieving peace with those around you. I could give you example after example after example of people assuming things, holding on to offenses, fostering bitterness and getting angry, all of which could have been cleared up if they were just willing to talk, practice healthy communication, have open dialogue with those that, are, that they, they are offended by, bitter toward or angry with. If, if we could just talk. Just, just look outside the walls of the church in our society today. It's a total dumpster fire. Like what's happening in our world? In every segment of our world. You can go anywhere and people are angry with each other. People are frustrated with each other. Peace couldn't seem more impossible. And this isn't because of the unique circumstances we found ourselves in. It's because we've lost the art and skill of communication, of dialogue, of of healthy Communication, 
Like, how, how do we talk to each other? We've forgotten that. We've lost it as a society. And, and the result of that is relationships are tense. And, 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 and there's, there's, there's polarization. There's struggles and frustrations. All of which, honestly, most of it could be resolved if people were just willing to talk. Wouldn't that be a remarkable thing? In fact, I want to do a quick exercise here. If you can bear with me for a second, okay? I want you to turn to someone next to you and share one thing you're excited about this Christmas season. Go ahead. You can do it now. Go for it. If you're watching online, you can talk to yourself if you're by yourself, but... Now, what you just experienced, what you just did, very good job, These, that, was, that was called a conversation, okay? The beginnings of one, okay? We don't want to jump too far. You can go deeper than that. There are actually conversations that go deep. That's called a conversation. You didn't text it to them. You didn't post it on their wall. You didn't DM them. You just talked to them. Well done. You guys did an awesome job. Well done. Uh, this is what we should do. This is what it means to be in conversation with people. And, and can I tell you something? As followers of Jesus and as the church, if we can get anything right, we should get this right. Because Jesus was wronged at levels we don't even understand and can't relate to. And yet he still was able to practice communication, dialogue, have conversations with people that hurt him, with people that, that tried to kill him, for crying out loud. Like, he was able to have this conversation. If we could get anything right, like, this is something we desperately need to get right in our world. You, you may not realize this, but, but the first century world that Jesus lived in was a very divided and polarized world, just as uh, we find ourselves in today. There were factions in Israel that aligned with the Romans and, and appreciated the Roman role that they asserted over Israel. There were other groups that, that, that longed and, and fought for Jewish independence from the Romans. And then there were other groups that just believed that they could coexist together. And, and in the midst of all of this, Jesus makes this statement about the difference that outsiders should see in his followers, and those who, who, who lived in a Jesus-centered community of faith. And, and he, he makes this prayer, and this prayer is in, recorded in John 17. And, and, and if you're not familiar in John's gospel in chapter 17, uh, what's recorded is what's referred to as Jesus' high priestly prayer. And Jesus' high priestly prayer was, was really this uh, long prayer that he was praying for different groups of people. One group was uh, his disciples, but then he prays for you and for me. Isn't that amazing? that Jesus prayed for you. He, he prayed specifically for you. And, and the question is, well, what did he pray for? Here's what he prayed for, that, that, that outsiders, those from the outside would see us in a certain way. Here's what he said in John 17, verse 20. He said, it says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So he's praying for you and me that, that, that we believe in Jesus 
because of the message from for 2,000 years, the message that has been proclaimed all over the world. We are here today, sitting here, watching online. Like We're part of this today because that message has continued to be shared and continued to impact lives. How awesome is that? So I pray for those who will be believing me through their message. Here's we get to the point. That all of them may be one. Can you say one? One. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Uh, this is what's awesome. Like the evidence that Jesus was actually the Son of God, the evidence that, that, that is to be provided isn't all of the archaeological digs and, and, and all of the evidence that we would normally think of. The evidence isn't all of that. It's changed life. It's doing something that should be impossible. And it's unity. It's that we would be one. Not uniformity, not that we're all identical and you know, we're gonna hand out uh, red sweatsuits on our way out. We're all gonna dress the same and, and we'll have Kool-Aid in the, in the, in the cafe. I'm just joking. We're not doing any of that. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about uniformity. We're talking about unity, that we would be one. Well, uh, how does that happen? How does that happen? It happens with communication. So here's what he's saying. He said that, that as a follower of Jesus, that you, his, his prayer his hope that as a follower of Jesus that you would shine like a beautiful star in the dark sky. Not because you're wearing all that Christian paraphernalia, like you got the t-shirt, you got the, the, the wristband, you've got the necklace, you've got the hat and the, the sweatband when you go to the gym and you've got, you know, you take, you eat testaments and, and you know, you do all the, you got like, I don't know if there's like Christian energy drinks now, I don't know. Like you, you it's not because you do all of that stuff. It, it's not because you listen to Caleb or, or Word FM or whatever. Like it's not because, of the, it's not even because you come to church. His, his hope is that you would shine in our world. That you'd be a beacon of hope in a dark world when you can be one with others in an increasingly divided world. Like that becomes a, such a key indicator that you're a child of God. You're part of the family of God. You see, it's, it's time that we as followers of Jesus begin to live out the challenge the Apostle Paul gave to the Roman church. In Romans 12, he wrote, do not, pay, re, do not repay anyone evil for evil. What does that mean? It means you don't have an excuse. Well, they did it to me first. That's a child, that's a childish excuse. We're adults. We don't repay evil for evil. Though they did it to me first, you don't lower yourself to that level. I don't care if they like posted on your wall, all caps, crazy stuff. Delete it and walk away. You don't have to respond. You don't have to. We've become so reactionary that we have adopted uh, the world's approach and, and, and response of tat for tat. They hit me, I'm gonna fight fire with fire. Let's go. Not an excuse. Jesus never operated that way. He never asked us to operate that way. That is the furthest thing from what you see Jesus do. If that was the case, he would have raised up his entire you know, following and they would have gone to war with the Romans because they tried to kill him. That's not what happened. Paul says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Here's, here's an interesting statement. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Like, um, I, I don't know about you, but like, I've heard many times and you know, thought this myself, like, you're not my judge, God's my judge. 
Don't, don't, don't tell me what I should and shouldn't do. I, 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 I submit myself only to God. What's Paul saying? Nope, that's not true. You don't just submit yourself only to God. I'll, I'll read it again so you can hear it. It says, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of, of everyone. That's crazy. What does everyone else have to do with my life? Because you're a reflection of Jesus to them. And if they can't see Jesus, then what, what are they seeing? Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. He goes on in verse 18. If it is possible, and he's understanding like this isn't always possible. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Can you say everyone? Everyone. Now, Paul uh, wrote his epistles in Greek. So all of the, most of the New Testament, all of the, most of the New Testament was written in the Greek. And, and what's cool about, you know, Greek is it's very diverse language and, you know, there's a bunch of different words, you've probably heard this, for love, and they all mean kind of different things and it's important to know which word for love that is used so you know kind of what the direction is. And, and here Paul wrote this in, in the Greek, okay? And, and if you go like into the commentaries, I've got all these commentaries and, and uh, different ways of diving into the, the, the language, the lexicon of, of what was written there in the Greek and all of that. And, and if you dive into the original language that Paul is written, writing in here, do you know what everyone means? It means all of us. Like, <laughs> Paul, the original Greek doesn't say everyone except this group, everyone except the person you don't like. Like, everyone except for that uh, jerk of a boss you've got, or everyone except for that neighbor, that insistently like blows snow into your driveway blows his leaves into your yard calls you know the 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 municipality on you because you put up a christmas decoration or something like whatever it is like he there's no exceptions like paul didn't say do this live it if it is possible he he mentions you know if it is possible it might not be but if it is possible live at peace with everyone like, this is what we're called to be. Like, as followers of Jesus, this is what we're called to be known for. And, and we've become the opposite. What a tragedy. What a tragedy that the church of Jesus Christ has become more known for being divisive than we are for being unifying. We are the ones who should be reaching across the lines. Not, not to water down our message or the gospel in any way. Like, no one's saying that. Jesus isn't saying that. Paul's not saying it. But we need to learn to pursue peace. We need to learn to have conversations. Now, now all of that is a really nice encouragement, a nice goal to strive for. But the truth is, like, it's really confusing and difficult. It's a difficult thing to to achieve, especially at this time in history. And, and I'll be honest, you know, in the church, and our church is guilty of this just as much as anyone, we can do a really good job at inspiring people to, to, to strive for what God wants for them, but never giving the steps. Like, we could walk away right now and be like, yes, we need to practice unity, and we need to, to, to practice communication and, and strive and pursue peace. Like, we need to do that, it's awesome. And then, then the question's like, well, well how, how do we do that? Well, we need to have good communication. Okay, that's good, but what does, that, what does that mean? See, there's a chasm between what we hope to see in our relationships or envision to see in our relationships versus what actually happens with our relationships. 
And I think most of us could agree that we want to live at peace with others. But that's where the tension comes in. How? Like, how? You, you know, if it was easy, everyone would be doing it. But they're not. So what's the difference? So what I want to do today, in just the last few moments we have together, I want to get really super practical. Because if we're going to rebuild relationships, it's going to demand that we are willing to pursue peace. It's going to require us to have clear, genuine, actual steps in our relationships and friendships to get there. So, so I want to share with you three, three kind of components of healthy relational communication. Pieces that, that when someone wrongs you or something happens, or there's an offense or something takes place, like these are three things that, that, that are really important, kind of ingredients. We're, it's Thanksgiving week, we like food, right? So three ingredients that need to be in the mix. And then we're gonna talk about two things that, that we can do to kind of maintain unity. The first thing is our tone, the tone, the tone in which we talk. Uh, it's not just about your words. It's about how you communicate your words. You know, Aretha sang this great song about respect, but it's not just about a song. It's like it's about this is how we need to act. We need to recognize that every person has value and they deserve honor and respect. The underlying attitude that contributes to healthy, functional relationships is always gonna be honor and respect. Whether it's in your marriage, with the coworker, a friend, a neighbor, a family member, like honor and respect. It's what we call the golden rule. It's found in Luke's gospel, in Luke chapter six, verse 31. Uh, Jesus said, do to others as you would have them do to you. Once again, this isn't repaying evil for evil. It doesn't, Jesus didn't say, do to others as they have done to you. He said, do to others as you would have them. Do to, like, how do you want them to respond to you? What's the posture you would love for them to have with you? Do that. Not with strings attached, like, well, if they respond in the same way, then I'll continue. No, do to others as you would have them do to you. The challenge is to live with this attitude when someone is treating us poorly. But this is what Jesus was talking about this entire passage. Like, we can cherry pick verses in the Bible and like make them mean whatever they want, but it's better to look in the context. If you actually look in the context of this, this is exactly what Jesus was talking about. Verse 32, very next verse of Luke 6. Jesus said, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. Verse 33, and if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. Up to this point, what's Jesus trying to get at? He's saying, if you're doing certain things with the expectation of certain outcomes, you need to change your formula. Because that's not the formula. You don't do things with the hope and expectation to get something in return. That's not the Jesus way of life. You forget the idea of sacrifice, dying to self, all of that that Jesus talked about. I'm not saying that we put ourselves consistently in harm's way in an abusive situation or a dangerous situation. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is we oftentimes put strings to all of our Jesus way of life. 
I'm going to love other people. I'm going to serve. I'm going to be generous. I'm going to do these things if, if this happens. And we have strings attached. And Jesus is saying, when it comes to relationships, do to others as you would have them do to you. Period. There's a period there. There's not a comma. There's not like a dash, dot, 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 or any of that. It's, it's a period. No strings attached. And this is what he's trying to get at. If you only love those who love you, like what? Everyone does that. Verse 35. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High. There's that statement again. You'll be seen as part of the family. That's that key family trait. Because he is kind to the ungrateful and to the wicked. Verse 36, be merciful just as your Father is merciful. I love all the language of this, that there's such a family trait that, that is part of the family. This is what we do. Whether your family is really good at corny jokes or your family is really good at cooking or really handy at building things and fixing things or your family is really quiet and kind of keeps to themselves or your family is really loud and obnoxious and boisterous and whatever. It is. Like there's those family traits that, that one of the traits, family traits of the family of God is that we will love others, care for others, reach out, have communication with others, and strive for peace, even when it's uncomfortable and difficult. To do that, to accomplish that, it demands that we have respect and honor. It's not something, a front you can put on. We have to have respect and honor. And when we have respect and honor, our tone, our tone reflects that. If your tone is demeaning, it doesn't matter what you say. Our tone, first part, first ingredient, the first component of really healthy relational communication is the tone. We need to have the right tone. Second is the process. The process. And, and the goal of the process is to seek win-win solutions. When, when, when there is a conflict or an offense that needs to be resolved, Jesus teaches us to seek win-win solutions. We are used to a win-lose approach to conflict, but win-win is much more difficult. Win-win is more than compromise. It's creativity. We think of a win-win as compromise, like, okay, I will lose so you can win. That's called a lose-win. That is not a win-win. Or I'll win this time, you lose this time, get me next time, and I'll lose and you win. How's that? I really want to go to Taco Bell. I don't care if it's our anniversary. Like, <laughs> I'll lose, you, you lose this time, I'll win next time, next time. Like, we'll go out for Valentine's Day. We can go to that fancy restaurant, okay? But that, that's, see, once again, that's a compromise, not creativity. Uh, Win-wins demand creativity, that we explore creative solutions. Uh, the win-win is kind of outlined, this whole process is outlined in Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 18. Uh, verses 15 through 17. And Jesus gives us some really clear, practical steps. Here's, here's what he said. He said, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. So if there's a wrong, go talk to them. Here's the thing. He didn't say go talk to all of your other friends and then go talk to them. He didn't say post it on Facebook for everyone to see and if you get enough likes and comments and everyone rouse you up enough, then go blow up on them. He didn't say any of that. He said if someone wrongs you, you go to them. 
The, the, you don't gossip to everybody else. You don't you know, share it with everyone else and rally your army ready to attack them. You go to them. You know, in a healthy church, this is the same. If you have a problem, go to that person. More churches have fallen apart and, and imploded because we miss this whole process. Why? Because we don't go to the person. Why? It's uncomfortable. It's awkward. We don't like that. But if we are called to pursue peace, it has to start there. You go to the person one-on-one. And he goes on. He says, if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. You've kept a friend. If he listens to you, look at that. How awesome is that? You've kept a friend. You might think, well, that's no big deal. I have lots of friends. No, no. Every person matters to God. Every person is important to God. Every relationship is an opportunity for God to change you and to change them. Transformation happens through those relationships. If it works, you've gained a friend. That's a huge deal. That's not something to be washed over. Verse 16, but if he does not listen, what happens if it doesn't work? You're like, that's never gonna work. Well, he has a solution. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So if that doesn't work, Invite us a third objective party to come in. Verse 17, if he refuses to listen then to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, here's kind of the three steps that we see outlined here. First one is a one-on-one. If if someone has wronged you, what does this communication look like? What does this process look like? One-on-one. Go to them one-on-one, privately. Not publicly, not for all to hear, not on social media, not, and, and I would even encourage you not over text message or email because we talked about tone. It's really difficult to, 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 to communicate tone in a text, text message or email or, or DM or, or any other digital communication because everyone always reads the worst kind of tone into those messages. Even if you had the best intentions and you had all the exclamation points, the smiley faces, the emoticons of laughing and crying and all, like you did all of it they still read it in the snarkiest possible way, in the cynical way. That's why tone is so important. One-on-one. One-on-one means face-to-face, full attention, not doing 10 other things. You're giving their full attention. This is important. Why? Because you want to gain a friend. You want to keep a friend. One-on-one. Okay, that doesn't work. What does Jesus say? Bring in another group. Bring in someone else, a mediator. Bring in a mediator, someone who's objective, not someone that you've like rallied on your side and it's two versus one. A mediator is someone who's objective that can help you come to a joint solution. So bring in a mediator. Who is that? I don't, I don't know who that is. But you have to know in your situation, circumstance, who that might be. You bring in a mediator who can be objective, who isn't picking sides, but can help bring objective input and insight into this conflict. And he says, well, what if that doesn't work? Third one is a jury. This is where you submit yourselves. You submit yourselves to a larger body of leaders to come to a decision that both parties agree to follow. So you bring in a a larger body of leaders. Uh, He mentions in the church, you know, that might be the church. That might be church leadership. Outside of the church, that might be, you know, a, a, a group of leadership in your business. Like these types of things, if we could get this right, not just in church, if we could get this right in our, in our, in our workplace, if we could get this right in, in, in our kids, you know, sporting, sports teams or other activities with, you know, parents and, and all the conflicts that can happen there. Like if we can get this right, 
Think about how much you're gonna get accomplished in the world. Like if so much of our energy and effort is spent trying to avoid people, but if we can actually talk through conflicts, think about the friends you're gonna keep and gain. Think about the impact. I promise you, you practicing these types of processes in your workplace will get you attention from your supervisor because you are a connector, not a divider. And connectors always do better because they accomplish more, because they bring people together. They don't split people up. These are really important, very practical things. One-on-one, go to that person if you have a problem. If that doesn't resolve, mediator, bring in a mediator. Maybe that's your, your, your group's leader, or maybe that's your supervisor, your boss. And if that doesn't work, then bring in a jury. Bring, bring in a, a larger body of leaders that you both will submit to their decision and that you can agree to follow what they decide. This is the process. It's not just about having good tact. Because you can have good tact and say all the wrong things. Take all the wrong approaches. Having good tact, but then following the process that Jesus gave us in Matthew 18. Matthew 18 process is so healthy. If you want to read it, read Matthew 18. That's so important for us to get. And the last part, and this is the key, is synergy. Synergy. In order for relationships to work to their highest potential... Everyone involved needs to contribute to the benefit of the whole. It's not just a one-sided thing. Everyone needs to contribute. Paul challenges the Ephesian church to intentionally live a life worthy of the calling that they had received. Here's what he said in Ephesians 4.1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received, meaning you have a calling. He's not talking to pastors here. He's talking to followers of Jesus. You have a calling. He said, live in a way that's worthy of that calling. And here's how you do that. In verse two, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Do you get the idea that in the first century church, like this was a big issue? Everyone was writing about it and talking about it. Paul's talking to him about the Romans, the Ephesians. Honestly, you could go through all of his epistles. He talks about this. Jesus talks a lot about this. Why? Because this is the great struggle of the human race, maintaining peace. And if we can follow Jesus' path and way, we can actually get there. We mess it up when we try to go on our own. As much as Paul wanted to invest in the Ephesians churches, uh, the Ephesians' growth and greatness, his efforts were limited without their passionate, purposeful cooperation with each other. So, so the question is, we, we, we talk about the tact that we need to have, the process and, and the key of synergy that, that it takes two people willing to work together. That's why Paul writes, if, if it is possible, live at peace with others. Because if there's not synergy, if you don't have two people wanting peace, it's not gonna be possible. So once you achieve unity, how, how do you maintain unity? How can you facilitate unity in your life, in your workplace, in your family, in our church? We have to first have recognize the importance of the appeal to authority. That, that there's authorities in your life. You have a boss. We all have a boss. There are people in your life that you are submitted to in different ways. The appeal to authority. One of the great examples of this is Daniel. Daniel lived under the oppressive authority of King Nebuchadnezzar. Like King Nebuchadnezzar was a dictator in every sense of the term. He lived under that. And, and his three buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, like they all lived under this. And yet, they didn't just survive. They got promoted. Read the book of Daniel. They all would get promoted. How? How did they do that? 
One of the keys, aside from their wisdom and boldness, was their ability to make an appeal to authority in moments of crisis. Not to run from authority, not to buck authority, but to make an appeal to authority. As Daniel appealed to his supervisor in Daniel chapter 1, he did it with the right attitude, the right tact, and he presented a creative alternative that was a win for everyone involved. So Daniel 1 is a great example of Daniel finding a win-win. He was asked to eat food from the king's table that didn't fit his Jewish customs and beliefs. And what did he do? He didn't bucket and say, forget it, I won't do this, I'm not eating, I'm going on a hunger strike. No, he didn't do that. He came up with a creative solution that was a win-win for both. And in the end, it was. So this is an appeal to authority. Oftentimes we think, uh, we assume, our, my boss won't listen to what I have to say, or this isn't gonna work, no one's gonna listen to that. Appeal with the right tact, remember, remembering respect and honor to authority with a creative solution that's a win-win, and watch how unity can be maintained. And the second one is the practice of deference. Not difference, but deference. Getting a group of people to go anywhere or do anything for any length of time is honestly and understandably a challenge. Everyone has a preference, an opinion, or an objection on almost every topic you could imagine. Leading a group of people and getting them to agree is like trying to solve a Rubik's Cube. It's really, really a complicated thing. The key factor in maintaining unity is an attitude of deference. Deference. This is the choice to honor and prefer another above yourself, believing that God is big enough to bring about his purposes regardless. And, and, and hear me, it's not, about, it's not a yielding of your responsibility to do what God wants you to do. It's also not a yielding of your opinion or your conviction. You're not giving that up. It is simply the yielding of your rights as to timing and approach in order to show love and preference to another. It is the choice to value relationships more than rights and results. It's saying I value this friend more than the timing of my rights. That's deference. And if we can recognize the importance that, hey, we have these tools in our toolbox. Man, I gotta use tact, and I need to go through this process, and, and I need to recognize the importance of synergy. But man, how do I maintain unity? I have this tool in my toolbox, like appealing to authority. The Bible talks about praying for and respecting authority. There's authority over all of us. We're all under authority in some respect. Appeal to authority with creative solutions that are win-wins, or, or practicing deference, saying, you know what, I I can trust God that his purposes are going to be accomplished and I can defer to them in the timing of, of, of my rights or what I want to happen. And today, as the worship team comes, I'm not asking you, I'm not asking you to go out of your way to find conflict. Like, we're not leaving this place to go find conflict. Like, let's go find conflict because here's the deal. We're human beings living around other human beings. Conflict will find us. Not trying to be pessimistic, it's just life. So how in the world do we practice what Paul said, that if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, that we live at peace with everyone? How, how do we do that? What I'm challenging you to do is to take a posture of pursuing peace. Pursuing peace starts with having healthy communication with those that we interact with on a regular basis. And for that to happen, it demands this, that we have the right tone. 
that we are willing to be tactful, that we offer respect and honor to the people we interact with. Whether they give it to us in return, they might not. You might have someone that yells at you, is mean to you, looks down on you constantly at work, in your neighborhood, around you. God has asked us to have the right tone, to offer respect and honor to that person. First one is that we can take the right tone, that we can walk through the biblical process that Jesus gives us in Matthew 18. And then we can recognize the importance of synergy. Synergy is such a beautiful thing that you see the results of it in the book of Acts. Small group of believers, 120 of them, in an upstairs room, empowered and filled with the Holy Spirit, would turn the Roman world upside down. Not because they had money, not because they had influence, they actually had neither of those. Not, not because they had you know, a really strong social media campaign or a great marketing campaign, or, or they didn't have any of that. What they had was synergy. Synergy can accomplish far more than just your good ideas or your intent or, or, or your hopes. Synergy. Learn, learn the art of conversation. Learn the art of building synergy with people who are different than you, people you disagree with. And here's my challenge to you this week. My challenge to you is maybe, maybe you need to write these down and keep them at, with you at work, in your car, Maybe, whatever you, maybe, maybe this week you just need to write on your hand so you don't, you don't lose it. Whatever it is, remember when people have wronged you, the things that you lose sleep over, practice the process. Take the right tone. Strive for synergy. Because this is a family trait. Your heavenly father has this trait and he's imparted it to you. And one of the key indicators that you're part of the family is your ability to practice peace. Your ability to bring unity when it seems impossible. Not because that you have like this unique personality trait, but because you are tapped in to the God of the universe that loves you and cares for you and has a great purpose for your life. And he's given us this amazing practical process that if we can have the right tone, if we can practice the, the Matthew 18 process, if we can strive for synergy with others, we can see unity, not just in church, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, throughout our community, in our kids' activities and sports teams and PTAs and all of that stuff. Like we can see unity take place. And every time you see that, you can see there must be a follower of Jesus involved in a mix there because that's a unique trait for followers of Jesus. As we pray, I wanna pray that God would give you the courage, the strength, and the ability to persevere through the awkwardness and the uncomfortable nature of engaging in communication that we're talking about today. Let's, let's pray. Lord, I thank you. Lord, I thank you for, Lord, all of those who are gathered here and watching online, Lord, that, that you have put people in our lives, and sometimes those people are difficult. But God, those difficult people are, are, are opportunities you've given us to become more like you, Jesus. Lord, they, they refine us. Lord, that, that sometimes they are that iron that sharpens us. Lord, I pray you would help us to not look at them as enemies or targets, 
But God, look at the people who are difficult in our lives as opportunities to grow. And Lord, as, as, as they are opportunities, Lord, I pray you would help us to engage in this process, this goal that you have for us. Lord, let us practice healthy tone and tact as we talk to people. Lord, let us be willing to have uh, face-to-face conversations and not talk to everybody else about them. Lord, let us be willing to practice deference and strive for synergy. God, I thank you, God, that we don't walk through this process alone. Lord, that we don't have to figure this all out on our own, but Holy Spirit, you are with us to empower us and equip us. Give us the right words to say, the right tone to say it with, the right opportunities to step out in order to represent our Heavenly Father to the world around us, a world that is broken and divided. God, let us be the connectors. Let us be the unifiers in our world. Lord, as we step into this week of Thanksgiving and face some of those difficulties with family and people we're gathering with, God, let us not forget the importance of striving for peace, of pursuing peace. Empower us, equip us, bless us, Lord. Use us to be a reflection of your glory and grace to the world we encounter this week. Bring us back next week. Hungry for your word and your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Pastor Nick Poole, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have. You can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com or send us an email at info at calvaryirwin.com. On our website, you'll find previous week's messages, a list of upcoming events, as well as resources designed to help you take those next steps on your journey of faith. See you next week, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.